Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. Welcome to this roundtable episode of Mix Masters, where my guests are John Tanner, Brian Hardiswick, and Brian Campbell. And all three of those guys have a connection through John and or the machine shop in Flint, Michigan. So we start off talking a little bit about the machine shop and what makes it so special and the connections that those guys have made through bands like Taproot, Pop Evil, and Avatar. And we talk a little bit about touring stories and experiences. We go on and chat about the importance of the house uh, slash touring engineer relationship and dealing with some difficult situations. Then we take a little bit of a turn, and it may be because we were drinking during this episode, but hey, it's the end of the year. We're smack dab in the middle of the holidays, so why not? We started uh, talking about the best and worst experiences of our touring careers, and then we bring it full circle back to the machine shop. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Heads up, Brian Hardiswick had some uh, technical difficulties with his bandwidth, so he sounds a little bit auto-tuned at times, but the stories are great. The friendships are real, and I really hope everybody enjoys this episode. We're nearing the end of the year, so happy holidays to everybody, and stay tuned for one final episode in 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of Mixmasters. I say special because I'm joined with a special group of people here tonight, uh, some of my favorites from previous podcasts, guys that I keep in contact with offline, and I'm really fortunate that I'm able to start calling them my friends uh, as a result of COVID and whatnot. But today, we're joined by John Tanner. Brian Campbell and Brian Hardiswick. Gentlemen, it is a sincere pleasure to have you on the podcast tonight. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I should also note that this is a, uh, a unique episode because we're uh, imbibing together and uh, enjoying ourselves. So I've got a, a couple of uh, beers and, and beverages. So if things get a little crazy, I take full responsibility. I should not pod and drink at the same time. So just a heads up. I think it should be mandatory to pot and drink. I've never heard the word imbibing before. Is that a Steve word? No. Is it a real word? It's an adult word. <laughs> it's an adult word? In- imbibing? Yeah. Okay. Yep. John John backed me up. He, he's he got my back, right? I'm old. I've heard that one. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely the dullest crayon in the box, you know, so I've... I've... <laughs> Yeah, but your your ears are sharp, so that's all that matters. So it's it's good. Dull ass grants. All right. For those who aren't familiar or have lived under a rock or really aren't you know true music fans, um, if you haven't heard of the Machine Shop, I don't know what to say. You might want to find a different podcast to listen to today. But uh, the reason that we're here today is uh, John. Tanner is the house engineer, legendary house engineer at the machine shop. And I thought it was pretty cool as I talked to all of you individually in uh, earlier episodes, every one of you mentioned some relationship that you had with John, uh, one form or another. So 
whether it was you know coming through and working at his venue uh, in various capacities on different tours or touring together or like passing the torch. I just thought it was really, really cool. And then John and I were talking offline uh, last week and we were talking about the machine shop and sort of the the special vibe that it has. It attracts, I think John sort of paraphrased it nicely, which was bigger bands than what should play there, play there regularly. And I think that that's really cool and it speaks a lot to the venue. It speaks a lot to John, speaks a lot to, you know, everybody's uh, appreciation of the place. So I wanted to jump in and sort of explore the relationship that everybody has here together and uh, how y'all met, you know, some of your experiences at the shop, some of your experiences touring together, and then sort of where things have gone from there. So I don't know who the best person is to kick it off here. Uh, Maybe John, give us a little backstory or let's do that. John, why don't you give us a little backstory on the machine shop, how you got into the gig and, and how you met Brian and Brian. How did I get the shop gig? I tried to get it once and they wouldn't give it to me. I was working for a local sound company. It worked for many years. Uh, Kevin was loyal to the guy he had, uh, but it was brand new. So about six months after they opened, he got back a hold of us and went, yeah, okay, bring it in. And we brought a PA in and, and set it all up and brought a real, you know, a couple guys that actually knew what they were doing to, to run it, which was kind of new to him. The other guy he had, he was a nice guy, but just, wasn't at the level of professionalism that Kevin needed for what he was trying to do. And he didn't quite have the rig and resources we did. And I should point out for anybody not familiar, Kevin is the owner of the machine shop. That's right. Kevin's Inc. But long story short, it was a perfect fit for our rig. I've been here now for 20 years. I, I figured I'd come in and do the six months or eight months, just like every other rock club in Flint. It would crash and burn. I'm like, yeah, I'll do the gig for a little while. Holy cow. I had no idea I'd be here 20 years later, still sitting, well, hoping to mix more shows in the same, in the same place. How, how long has the shop been around? Like when did it, when did it officially open? Oh, one, I guess. 2001. And before that, what, was it a club before that? I think it became the shop in 01. It was maybe six or eight months. It was open as a place called Razmataz. Different oh, guy yeah. opened it. That's right. Okay. Opened it. Uh, and Kevin was just booking shows for him at the time. That guy was running everything up his nose and breaking all the rules. He crashed and burned and Kevin swooped in and, and took the club and, and took it over. And, uh, made it something you know really different really great but 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 for razzmatazz though it was like nothing like it was just some other type of business or was it a venue it was a pool hall it's never been a bar it's it's been restaurants and and like i said it was a it was a cutter's pool hall wasn't a a bar they didn't have alcohol just a place you could come and play pool okay okay but then uh yeah turned it into a, a rock club and and Man, he just, his formula is easy. Treat the band like gold. <laughs> you know, treat the band like they're at home. Yeah. They, they don't get that around the country. And, and it paid off. They love the place and they want to play here, even though, like you say, they get too big to play here and their management doesn't want to do it. But they have because the, the band keeps bugging. Who was the first of the Bryans to come through the club? Do you remember? Was it Brian Campbell or Brian Hardiswick? Campbell. First, I believe, on a taproot tour. 
and I think that was the one before I went on or the one maybe that I finished the end of or something. But he was a guitar tech at that point. Maybe drum tech. No, you weren't drum teching too. Somebody no, else. that was Nick Starr. But it wasn't on that tour, I don't think. I think it was somebody else. No, Nick Starr, Nick Starr started one tour before me. Yeah, so it was Nick Starr and, and then me. And we're the only two techs, yeah. Okay. Well, then you may not have been the guitar tech on the first one that I did for me. No, it was, uh, man, it's been two uh, decades ago. I can't remember the... It didn't matter. I can't remember that. <laughs> I became like lifelong friends. I don't know. But yeah. That was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then I went out on, on a tour with Taproot, and that was where Brian and I really really got to know each other better than most people should because that's what you do when you're out on the road. <laughs> yeah. How about uh, Brian Hardiswick? When did he roll through the shop and uh, with who and in what capacity? Oh man, Brian's been through with quite a few, but I believe it all started with the pop evil camp. He came yep. through the drum tech and uh, was just so freaking hungry for knowledge. It was insane. You could see it. It didn't matter what it was. He wanted to know about it and now does about all of it. <laughs> Every aspect from the bottom to the top. I remember the first time I came in there and met you. And you still came back. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when I still drank. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's when I met yourself and George. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know how the club had worked at the time, you know, but it's like, you don't touch any of their shit. They know exactly what they're doing. They have their own process. And I wasn't used to that. Usually you go in and a lot of people don't give you that time and that attention. You have to do it all yourself. You have to get your own mic stands. You have to get your own microphones, all that shit. And they had a, they had a, a flawless foolproof we'll, formula. We would just like stop somebody. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Put that back, oh, yeah. put it down. Hey, did you ask? <laughs> Pop evil is one that's really funny to me personally, because uh, they're a band that was a local band when they first came through. And they did their first headline show here at the shop and came over. And I'm not sure if you were with them then yet. I don't think so. Um, but they came through and they were telling, you know, they come in and they go, okay, we're going to set this up over here and we'll put this here. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, uh, well, we're headlining. We're going to get in here and set up and sound check. I'm like, no, you're headlining, but it's a local show today. There's just me. I'm running monitors in house. They didn't hire my whole crew. Uh, we're just checking the first band and we're going to do the rest on the fly. It's festival day. So you go ahead and put your shit right over there in the corner and I'll call you. When I do it. And, and Lee just about shit. He was like very upset because it was a, you know, but I, I reassured him it's going to be okay. This is just the way we do it here. It's all right. I'll tell you what you do. You go out and you get yourself one of those big giant record contracts and you come back here with a, big fucking tour bus and we'll do it however you want. But today it's going to be like this. Your aunt goes there. Your aunt goes there. I'll call you when I'm ready. And I left it at that. They came back about two or three months later in a big fucking tour bus with a big. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been great friends ever since. <laughs> and the rest is, and the rest is great history. Camp. Everybody there. I've just had nothing but fun with, but, that's my great pop evil story. I, I tell bands that all the time. I'm like, it's easy. You just got to do what they did. I told them, you go out and you get a record deal. We come back and we do it big. They did it. So it's easy. 
go out and get a record deal and do it. Big. <laughs> Man, here we've been. Everybody else has been making things way too complicated. Yeah, so far nobody <laughs> has done it. But. Did you, uh, John and and Brian Hardiswick? Did you guys ever end up touring together or working in a capacity together on the road, or just only through the shop? I think just through the shop. Just through the shop. I've covered some uh, some dates for Brian. I went and covered a, a week of Avatar, uh, a rundown in Florida, which was super cool of those guys. They uh, flew myself and, and my wife down to that band is so dope. A week and and cover some shows that Brian had other obligations to. Uh, I think it was Red Sun Rising or somebody at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How long ago was that? Because I like I'm trying to think. I saw Avatar the first time probably like twenty. 13 2014 and they seemed pretty new to me at that point is was it around that time frame or was it before then it was around then i think because i started with pop evil in 2011 and i didn't meet avatar until like 13 ish i believe because they're on the same management team the capellini's g and g entertainment i think it was around then right john like 14 15 ish yeah ish i don't know real blur (laughs) but I, i think it was around there yeah well, that band is great, man. They they have a, they, there's one of those bands that have a formula and a chemistry that works for them. They don't change it. They don't they don't rearrange the formula, and they just continue to grow and build musically, creatively. It's they're fantastic. They're the one of the greatest group of dudes to work for. And oh man, their show just kills. Their show is awesome. Like that was when I did that tour with you a couple years ago, Brian. Where it was uh, Avatar, My Semen, and and in this moment. Like, man, I watched their set every night. Like, every night I watched a good chunk of their set. They're just so good. Yeah. And they're like one of those bands where there's a character and each one of the members has their own personality, individuality. So they're Mm -hmm. like, it's like when you watch Kiss or you watch like, or Metallica or Slipknot, like each member, like you want to know about each one of them and like what their story is and like how they play and why they play the way they do. It's, it's, that's, I like that. It seems more and more rare these days. And they're just totally nice dudes. Like, yeah totally nice like nice humble yeah great and i bet every time i've mixed their show here yeah i killed it oh it's been awesome i, I want to mix them <laughs> other place that i swear on that little run that i did for them i had such a bad time it was awful really stuck in a swamp and no sound check that day i had rigs that the whole left side just dropped out. Everybody else that all day on this festival was great. Wait. Left side just gone for me. No. And it was one thing after another. And they, they were the nicest guys about it. They weren't dicks. They weren't like, but I just felt so bad because I just killed it here every time. And everything I did out there just seemed to be a turd. <laughs> it was one of those runs that it just didn't work well. I would love to try to mix those guys. They're, they're just a fun band. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Brian Hardiswick, um, not to divert from our talk about the shop, but um, did you end up mixing Avatar at uh, WJJO Sonic Boom in Janesville? It, it's a big airfield outdoor festival, side-by-side stages. So it had been like 2014, 2015. That, that band is the hardest one for me to remember because it was always like if Pop Evil would have been off, then management would move me over to Avatar. But when Pop Evil came back out, they'd move me back over. And Avatar, they grew up with, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot his name. The dude that mixed Motorhead, Arnie. Uh, so their best friend is Arnie. So Arnie's always had like the number one front house spot with that band. So if they needed somebody and I was gone or whoever else was gone, they'd always fly Arnie in to come out and do their tours. 
Gotcha. And John, you were saying sorry about that. Well, that must be the guy. They were telling me that they had a Europe a Europe guy that normally did their their stuff over there. But was that the guy on the? Uh, I can't remember his name, but was that the guy on the in this moment tour, Brian? English guy. Yeah, it was big giant beard. No, the, I want to say this guy was clean shaven. No, Anyways. okay, so that's their that's their other guy, uh, Joan. He does monitors and drum techs. Okay, he was really nice. He was cool. He was fun to tour with. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good dude. They have, they have a good camp of people. Yeah. Uh, speaking of good camps, maybe that's a nice transition into um, the other thing that I wanted to talk to everybody about because we all have experience on either side of the um, the rider, if you will, is uh, the importance of a relationship between a touring sound engineer and the house engineer. And I think that it's something that is uh, taken for granted or not appreciated unless you're actually in the tour or you're in the house and you're interacting, you know, the, we all know the proverbial grumpy sound guy, right? The, the guy that doesn't want to be bothered, you know, blah, 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 blah. Maybe John in a former life. (laughs) But then we also uh, know the guys that are, you know, just super accommodating, super knowledgeable, and they make your show a lot better. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about the your experiences and sort of how important that is? And uh, maybe we'll just go from there. I think, you know, I don't know, Brian Campbell, if you want to kick us off on this one. So what if you're both of those guys at the same time? Though? I know, right? Um, no. Uh, so, man, when you come in, you've got to just like as a touring guy, you you need to like just chill out. like come in there shake hands with people you know get to know people's names i think like if you start your day off that way like the rest of the the rest of the day is going to be like easy like if you can find common ground with people and just you know at least learn somebody's name that goes so far and people don't even realize it you know and then there's days like man i've definitely been you know three months into a tour arguing with somebody back home or something and hung over from the night before and came in guns blazing too. But you know what I mean? Like you, you just gotta, you gotta try your hardest to take that deep breath, come in with a smile on your face, meet people. And, uh, those guys are like the most important people. Uh, when you're coming in, um, they know the room, they mix in it every day. Like not only are they going to be able to, you know, help you out with things if you're using, you know, their mic package or, you know, patching or what have you, but like, they're, they're the ones that are going to be able when you're EQ in the room, like, you know, if you're cool with the guy, he might let you know about, you know, that low end buildup or whatever, and you're going to have to EQ here and you're, instead of you just fighting to find it, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah, man, I guess I, uh, to sum it all up, I'd say just be as cool as you can coming in, you know, names, learn names. (laughs) <laughs> Brian Hardiswick, what's your uh, what's your approach to coming into a new van? John is <laughs> hold on one second. John's showing us his EQ for the room at uh, the shop, and it's it's pretty flat. I keep I just it that. I'm going to sell to people for twenty five dollars a piece. I keep it saved on my phone just for that reason. Here, here's what I do. Do what you want, but that's what I do. Yeah, uh, so we'll jump back to that because I have a I have a entrepreneurial idea, but I'd like to get Brian Hardiswick's <laughs> uh, uh, experience and perspective. Um, I guess it varies between in, in whether you're just doing front of house or you're also front of house and production manager. Um, in my world, like within this moment, 
audio for me is equally as important as like stage dimension, the room being ready, making sure we can hang a kabuki, mid-stage truss is right, like lighting is correct. Um, just because everyone knows like with Maria, she's such a perfectionist that she watches every single thing every second of the show. So if I have like a color wheel on a gobo stuck, she'll take a note about it. We have to talk about it at the end of the night. Or if there's a park can that flickers, she knows. If a spotlight's not the right color, she knows. Uh, so in my world, coming in and, and having a front of house engineer that has the room like dialed, PA is tuned, you know, it's either it's smart, it's aligned, it's ready to go. I can just give them my tails and start sound checking. It makes just for such an efficient day because we have so much more to worry about. Like that's just the beginning of my day personally. Um, like Brian said, uh, what I do is I write a line right here on this on my hand and I always write the PM and the house audio guy's name on my hand. And so I always have that all day because, I mean, you meet somebody new seven times a week. Bob looks like Travis, looks like Robert, looks like Alan, you know, uh, and everybody has <laughs> yeah. beard and tattoos and probably will sell you weed by the end of the night. So yeah. <laughs> I uh, that's that's one like little like thing I learned from a couple of people just writing the names on the hand right there. And you always it's just a respect thing, too. You know, when you go up and you're like, hey, John, can I get a, a microphone cable or hey, Brian, can I grab this or whatever it may be? It just shows that you took some initiative to like take the time to to, to build uh, a relationship. And really, like, adaptation is, is crucial. Every venue is different. Like, you can advance the hell out of a show, and it's 99%, but there's always going to be some sort of a curveball that could happen, whether in our world, like, the air conditioning in the venue gets left on, and it sucks all the fog off the stage. We've yeah. asked for it to be shut off 100 times, but sometimes that doesn't happen. My uh, problem I'll, I'll end up with their name right across my face here because I spend three bands like this. <laughs> John's resting his uh, hand on his face. And so, yeah, you end up with a name mustache uh, in reverse on your lip. Right. But like, yeah, like Brian, like you said, man, like you set the tone the minute you walk in that door and they can make yep. your day easy as possible or they can make your day complete hell. And Absolutely. it really starts with your attitude because you're setting the tone when we're the first one in the door in the morning, we're setting the tone for the whole camp. Yep. I can tell you being on the receiving end, that makes a huge difference in what I'm going to tell you and not tell you about what I've got for you today. And is it's just, you know, I'm, I used to be, but I'm not going to be a jerk anymore. I've, I'm <laughs> a little more grown up. So I'm not going to be that way right off the bat, but I'm not going to give you my entire everything. If you come stomping in the room, telling me how awful this is or all oh, that just won't work. This won't do. You've got to move this. Whoa. Hi. Good to meet you, man. <laughs> you a coffee or something. <laughs> need some weed <laughs> yeah. So, yeah i mean it, it really really is important just just like you say that walk in the door i mean when we were out on that that tour that we did with taproot there were there were some really nice rooms and there were some really really oh, yeah. nice ones yeah oh, yeah that really opened my eyes as a as a front of house guy as to what it's, you know, the, the house guy that lives there, as opposed to the touring guy. There was the longest time that they treated me really bad here at the shop. They would come in, they wouldn't listen to me. I couldn't figure out why. It's like, dude, I built this rig with my own hands. I know it better than anybody. I can really help you. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm better than you, but I know this rig better than you do. And I can, yeah. can help you with it a lot if you let me, but nobody would. And then I went on that tour and I met a lot of those guys in those rooms and I went, Oh, they met this guy and this guy, and they don't want to talk to me anymore. Yeah. I'm the house guy. They think I'm him. Better, I think now, 
than it was well, back then on that tour. Things, there's not quite as many guys that are out there, you know, I don't know, working for pizza or whatever those guys were working for. <laughs> they, the guys coming in too, they seem a lot more knowledgeable than what people were just 10 years ago. The front of house guy, both the touring and the house guy, have have come a long way in that short period of time, I think. Well, no, you make a great point. I mean, it's, it's you know, especially back in that day too, like, you know, not only knowing what kind of gear you were going to mix on that day, you know, what, what you were walking into, you know, but it, it's, you've got to deal with different people's attitudes. And, and just like I mentioned earlier, where we might come in with a bad day, you might come in with a bad day. You might be smart and you might know the room and you might be a total complete moron that just got the job because they're friends with somebody. You know what I mean? So you've got to do your, you've got to do your own assessment on on what you're dealing with as somebody that's there to help you. And I've definitely been in both situations where I've got like a complete and total pro that's like like yourself, John, and just knows everything. And like you held up your EQ for your room, like dudes like that. If I get a sense with like the dude knows what he's talking about, like I'm gonna be like, all right, well let me hear his EQ first. Let me bypass it. Let me maybe take a picture of it and adjust and see where I end up. You know what I mean? But I'm going to take your opinion more as opposed if somebody comes in and I'm asking them simple questions about patching or something and they don't know what's going on, that EQ is flat. I'm not listening to no picture. I don't care about what you did. I'll be polite about it. I'll be like, okay, cool, man. Well, I just like to start flat, know where I'm at, you know? So, um, you know, we'll see what's going on. So you definitely got to assess the people you're working with, you know, but um, I guess, I guess time restraints really change that too. Um, As you can attest from that particular tour, I don't understand why Taproot never wanted to load in before four o'clock ever. (laughs) It was Phil hours. That was Phil. So I could sleep in. I don't care where we're playing, what we were doing. They don't load in until four o'clock. And it's like, well, wait, 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 hold it. No, I got things I want to do. I want to get, nope. So in some of those situations, the touring guy under that situation, you maybe have to be a little more assertive, a little faster than you would (laughs) normally. You know what I mean? Still be nice, but you don't have time to feel this guy out. It's like, no, 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 we're going to do this. <laughs> and, 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 and this is just what we do. Sorry that this is what we're doing. I have a, I have a question. So um, telling my own tale here, which I usually don't like to do, but I've had a, I've been bibed. So I'm uh, feeling chatty a little bit, but uh, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> first tour I did, uh, only tour I did officially second venue we played in was in the state of Colorado. I won't say the venue or the city. And we rolled in early uh, and I met the house engineer and he was having a bad day right off the bat. And I'm Midwest nice, you know, like the, Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm just going to sneak in behind you. (laughs) Brian knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. We got Oh, yep. Oh, and, uh, this guy, I could not make this guy happy no matter what. There, yep, Brian's holding up a definition of imbibe. I am I am vindicated. It, this is a real word, so thank you. You didn't believe two of us. You had to look it up. Trust but verify. But it's a humor, it's a humorous verb it describes it as. I'm funnier when I imbibe. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, 
definitions, Merriam-Webster aside, will... Alcohol, it is. <laughs> so what do you do when the guy just will not cooperate and just is not having anything that you're throwing down? Like, I I tried Which, to bend over backwards to be nice yeah, to this guy. Oh, sorry, John. I stepped on you. Which, I, I'm sorry I did on you. Uh, which which guy though? Are we talking about a house guy or a touring guy? House guy. So I'm the touring engineer coming in. House guy is just not having any of anything, and everything is you know a pain. Everything is twice as more difficult as it needs to be. You know, you you need one thing. It you know the guy goes and doesn't come back with it, and then you ask him about it, and you get the the epic eye roll and the sigh and all that fun stuff. Like, you got any pointers for a uh, a greenhorn like myself in those scenarios? One of the bees, one of the bees, or or John. I mean, dude, you just gotta. I feel like you and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. Maybe you do it different. I try to humor people as much as I can. At the last resort, like I will, you know, snap off and be like, "All right, dude, got it," and give them one of those and and be like, you know, what have you? But dude, like I, it takes a lot. If you got me to that point. Like you've, you've really overstepped the boundaries, you know, like I, I, as much as I can, I'm like, oh, cool, dude. Yeah, totally. Uh huh. Oh man, for real. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, like as much as I can, you know, but it's when it comes to the point where it's time to work, you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, bro. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I mean, like if, if you got a front of house guy that's kind of giving you shit and kind of stepping on your case, at least in my situation, I was having move the computer over or so I can see the outputs. And if everything's in the green, everything, nothing's in red. I'm not being abused of his PA. There's no need for us to communicate. I was like, if this hits red, then you have a, you have a reason to talk to me. Otherwise, like, let me do my job with all due respect. There's obviously not a vibe here for whatever reason. So we can both see the anthrax. Cool. We're good. Like, let me do my thing. Totally. Yeah. I'll give you a little more backstory. So we rolled in with a Midas M32 uh, producer and he didn't want to, he didn't want to put it out, you know, in the mix area. And he said, most bands just come through and mix on an iPad. And I was like, oh, well, I've got a lot of stuff going on with inputs and blah, blah, blah. I really need the faders. And, you know, that was like, I was like, I'm open to doing anything, but I would prefer to mix on my Surface. It looks like you've got room here. You know, is there, and he didn't want to run the cat cable. So I was like, I don't mind running the cat cable, man. Like, I'm happy to do that. And I listened to him mix the local opener and he mixed them really good. I was like, man, dude, you, you killed it. Like, that sounded really great. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And I'm just like you probably need to find a new job, my friend. Like you're uh, quite unhappy, obviously. Sorry, John, I stepped on you again. But I'm really sorry about that. I had no idea that was you. <laughs> <laughs> you were a couple, couple too many States away. So, it, it, and I missed the show with you. So I feel, I still feel bad about that. I regret that. Dude, even those people like just to touch on your story, Steve, like, you know, once you've exhausted any, all niceness that you have, and if it's something like that, that's like show critical, you know what I mean? You, you've got you've to you've be very diplomatic on how you do it, but you, you need to just start talking to people. And, and, you know, I production manage or tour manage pretty much every band that I've ever worked for as well as doing audio. And at that point in time, like, you, you know, I'm, I'm starting to talk to other people besides that sound guy because... I don't need the conflict there. And I know he's going to be pissed either way. If I go around his back and over his head, you know what I mean? Or if I just bully my way through it either way, like we're not seeing eye to eye, you know what I mean? So like in your situation, 
I would have, I don't know if you were tour managing or production managing at the same time, but me personally, I would have gone to that tour manager or that production manager, me as myself, would have started to work around that guy because, you know, it's something that's mission show critical and it's, and it's not something that's always, you know, final, you know, I mean, and, and in situations like if you're mixing download, you know, in the UK at some big festivals, I know they've had situations where they're like, no, nah, you can't bring your mixer up here. You got to use like house mixer. And even then, like I've been in those mix situations and I've still always gotten my mixer up there. It's, it's, it's how you, handle the process after that and and you know how nice again you are to people that are above that guy's head you know i realize uh brian hart is what couldn't see that i was pointing at him but i uh am reminded of the story of you uh getting to the festivals early and and taking your soundboard up to uh front of house and plopping down in the sun or doing whatever you had to do to make it work out yeah, man. I mean, more times than not, like, you know, we always carry a profile and a little outboard gear, brat or uh, outboard gear. And we're, you know, we're still doing like the four five, six o'clock spots on festivals. So we don't, you know, we don't get the priority in the tent inside the front of house build, which is totally fine. You know, it's all it's seniority. That's how it just, that's just how it works. Uh, and so anytime they're like, oh, we don't have room out here. I'll always find like the most like convenient placed out of anyone else's way where I know nobody else wants to set up. Because if that means I can get my shit built earlier in the day, even if it's out in the sun baking, I can put, you know, a sun trap over it. Uh, I already know like that part of my day is done and built and I can still mix wherever you put me. I don't care if it's, I mean, ideally it'd be nice to be inside in the shade, but if it means I can go out at 10 AM and build and not have to wait till four till three people move. I do that all the time. Dude. I always bring, if we're doing festivals, I bring a pop-up. Like I always have an extra pop-up yep. on deck that I just know is for me because I do the same way. Like, you know, break and Benjamin isn't, I mean, we're, we're at the same position in this moment is like, I think the last festival we did, we did one right after you, you know what I mean? And it's, it's the same way. We're not priority, you know, we got to set up where we can, you know, but I'm, I'm always out there trying to claim stakes in a nice way, you know, again, you got to, you know, the festival, you know, people that are working the audio there, you know, it's just like in a situation of working with a house guy like John, you know, you got to come in there and polite and, you know, ready to work with them. And where can I be out of your way? But I've never been like crazily rejected, you know, from being up there and doing my thing if I was being productive, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, in Steve's case that he's talking about, if you're, if you're carrying a, a producer and they got, they don't have room for that. I mean, you can almost hold on to that and mix. <laughs> right. I mean, well, that's the beauty about today's consoles and stuff like that is all of us are taking up a lot less footprint than, even 10 years ago. So, you know, that point and, and at that point, yeah, you, you definitely got to stand up for yourself there. Right. I mean, yeah, Sorry, I, ended up, I ended up mixing on the merch table uh, just to make the guy try and make the guy happy. And I was cool with it cause it was in a good spot and whatnot, but it was just one of those scenarios where nothing I did, the guy was, you know, angry. The sun came up that day and you know, that he was getting a paycheck that night and pissed him off and, Oh, right. And you can't, and you can't do anything with those people. You know what I mean? You just got to let them be. You just, I mean, don't, don't let them ruin your day, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're the, the band you're working for and you coming in there with your gear is the reason that guy gets a paycheck. That's a good point. And I did, I did ask him, I said, I think we're working towards the same goal here, right? Like we want to have a good show. Right. And the guy was just like, rah, rah, and then huffed off, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, dude. And, and you know what? I've, I've worked venues too. So coming like, let me put my venue hat on, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've, 
you know, I work at the House of Blues here in Houston when I'm home. So I'm dealing with touring acts coming in all the time. And you know what? If, 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 if I'm not vibing with the touring engineer and he comes in all guns blazing, you know what I mean? Like I just back off, you know, as long as he's not hurting the PA, like I, I just step, I, I, okay, man, here's, here's, this is the outputs. There's Have a, a great time. If he's not hurting anything, I'm, I'm like, okay, you're good. You know? Yep. I don't, I just go totally cold. I'm, I'm here. If you need something, you just say it. And I, I got it for you. Cause I know, I know that's what I'm here for, but, Again, if like you say, if you know you're not vibing with somebody, there's just no point in trying to fight with it. Yeah, not vile group. I gotta say that guy was the anomaly. Like every other venue was unbelievably awesome and so like helpful and receptive and everything like that. So I sort of like to think it wasn't me that you know maybe the guy's dog died earlier in the day or something like that. Like you don't know. And that's something I've talked to about, like with mix engineers like Charlie Bybee and Patty Krause and those guys. You don't know what what's happened to somebody earlier in the day, you know, to put them in the position that they're in. So that's uh, maybe a, a takeaway from there. I also uh, need to give a quick shout out. Um, you guys talking about bringing your own pop ups. Have any of you guys worked with uh, KD Canopy? It's like K is in kilo, D is in delta canopy. I haven't. Very. Uh, <laughs> Coincidentally, this is going to be the Colorado episode. They're a, uh, a custom tent manufacturer out of Colorado, and they have a five by five pop up tent that weighs like 27 pounds. It's super lightweight, but it's indestructible. Like you could park the tour bus on it, and it's totally fine. I have their five by five pop up from my production company. And when we are doing festivals in 2021 in the summer, I'm knocking on wood that happens uh i'm bringing that five by five pop up because the thing is fantastic so it's better i think it's probably better than plopping a 10 by 10 you know in front of wherever you can sort of sneak it in with your small console and small tent and nobody will be any the wiser right it's smart it's great i mean pop-ups have saved i think all of our lives more than once in any situation yeah you know you know what i was just thinking of the you know speaking of the pop-ups like and just being prepared in general like, I think like uh, just going back to that, like venue, you know, venue guy, touring guy thing. Like, I think that's another big thing is just being as prepared as possible. I, I, I now from working in the house area, you know, working venues have like come to know that not everybody is like me when I tour, you know, where I've, you know, made sure that the advance is done. You know what I mean? And, you know, I've I've I've. I'm prepared for everybody because even at a venue level, I, I know like you know, I've worked a few different venues and sometimes you advance something with the production management. That doesn't mean that it trickled down to that audio guy or that lighting guy or that, or, you know, anybody else. So you gotta, you gotta be prepared too. years ago because it came from management. What was that, John? Or you can't be sure it wasn't an input list from two years ago because it came from management. Right. And, and, and that's the stuff I'm talking about. And that still happens today. You know what I mean? And, and and I like, you know, even when I've advanced with promoters as a production manager, even at a arena amphitheater level, it still happens. Like you want to think it doesn't and it doesn't happen every day as much as when you're working at the level. But I have definitely walked into that kind of situation where they may be you know, the people there, I mean, well, even at that point, you're working with just labor and and, you know, the production crew there. But 
you know what I mean? Not so much at a venue, but it doesn't matter. Like the information doesn't always work its way down. So the, the more prepared you are, you know what I mean? Like if, if you need to use house patching and microphones and cables, have that, you know, audio writer printed out, have that input list, that stage plot printed out, be ready to go. And, and it's going to be more helpful for the house guy to work with you, you know, and, and you know, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, smart. I, one thing I'll do, man, I, I always will call the venue the night before or the day before, or a couple yeah. of days prior to showing up. Uh, for example, like we do 15, 50 pound tanks of CO2 for every show mm-hmm. and there's like siphon and non-siphon and like for confetti, it has to be one. And for CO2 jets, it's gotta be the other. And for, for some people, they just don't give a shit. And they're like, oh, whatever. We But they stand like, my job is to make it on stage. They see it go off and it's not right. Then it comes back at me. Even though I did the advance, they just didn't pay attention right. to whether it said non or was siphon. Uh, so I always try to do like Same a two-day follow-up with each venue just to make sure. Like, I, the I you know, will advance. Before I leave on a tour, I have already made contact with everybody in some way or form. If, if, even if it's just like, hey, man not ready for you but we will be like i I get that okay cool but everyone everybody i've already made contact with you know and and we'll get that stuff advanced but then when it comes a week out from a tour like we're we're coming to your venue in a week you and i are talking again the day before you and i are talking again even if it's just a quick email to be like hey bro just wanted to reforward you all the information you know what I mean? If you have any questions, let me know. And by information, I'm talking about your complete writers, any show notes that you guys have made, any, any, you know, any changes that have been done. Um, but I'm, I'm touching base with them again. But again, that doesn't always make it down to the house guy. It hits the fan. At least you've got a record of the three times you made contact and gave this dude all this stuff that he needed and didn't get. Exactly. But at the point being at a club level, let's just say, let's keep it at a club level because that seems to be more where, you know, like the story is, but like, you know, like when you go, John, like, you're like, all right, well, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I need mics and cables and stands, but I got this, you know what I mean? I don't want to just talk to you about necessarily like I'm prepared. Like, here's a piece of paper. These are the stands I need. These are whatever I need. Cause I'm production managing or tour managing too. You know, I can be hi, hello, and we're all good to go. And I can hand you this and you're going to be able to go like, okay, this is what he needs. Whether the PM or anybody brought that in there. One of these, but I got that. Yeah. Um, But the other thing is just be prepared as possible. If you're working for a, a band that maybe doesn't have the budget, like we've all been there. Every one of us have mixed those bands. You know, work work on the band like, okay, well, let's work on patching. It would be really helpful if we had our own split, you know, our stage boxes or this, that, or the other, because the more self-sufficient you can be in this day and age, it's getting so cheap to do. So every band is on in-ears. Every band in the touring world is on in-ears right now. It's, it's so affordable, more affordable than it's ever been before. And if you're on in-ears and you don't have your own patching and everything to go with that, then you're messing up because the more you can be self-contained and if you're using safe front of house and just hand the guy tails and be like, all right, just patch me one-to-one, like that's, that's going to make John's life way easier. And John's going to be very happy because, you know, he didn't have to worry about that, you know, at all. You know what I mean? Um, so be prepared, be ready to go. If you're working for those level of bands, you know, just 
just work on them. You know, it, even if it's every tour, you're buying one step further to getting that complete goal. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, it's so mission crucial, except like, especially at festivals. Like I remember listening to one of the round tables you did earlier, Steve, and it was on festival. Like, and I, I don't remember if anybody even actually touched on it, but I think like at that situation, like, you need to be ready. You need to be self-contained. You need to, it is so affordable. If you are a band that are big enough to be doing these festivals and you don't have a monitor guy, there is like at this point in time, no excuse for you not to have like a little X32 with in-ears on, on deck and set up because not only are you going to have a more enjoyable, enjoyable show because your stuff is right, you know what I mean? And you didn't have to work with a monitor guy that you've never, ever met before ever in your life and expect him to care enough about your set after he's been there for three days, you know what I mean? And not gotten any sleep, like, you know, sunburned as shit. Yeah. Sunburned. Yeah. The whole thing, like the more you can be prepared and ready to go and, and know your shit so that you are ready to go. Even stands, you don't even know how important like having your own stands are the simple stuff. You know what I mean? Just like, um, yeah. And, and it, and, and that carries on going into clubs. Like the more you can be prepared going into clubs, like the more it's, it's going to make everyone's life easier. All right. We've got like 15 minutes left. I'm going to jump in here real quick. And, uh, Brian Hardiswick, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So as is sort of the norm, this, this it's- podcast is going to go live, uh, right before the end of the year. And I'm thinking about all of like the People magazines, the Us Weeklies, all those trashy magazines that we secretly read and love but don't tell anybody about. Uh, <laughs> they, they all have their lists, like best of, worst of, best dressed, worst dressed, uh, you know, best uh, whatever. Can you think of a best yep. and a worst house scenario? And, you know, don't name names. We will protect the uh, the guilty. Just for 2020? Anytime. It doesn't have to be 2020 only. <laughs> Sorry. So good question, Brian Campbell. But I'm, I'm I'm handing this hot potato to Brian Campbell. I want to know, like, what's been a really great house experience and what's been a really bad house experience? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to Brian, Brian Hardiswick. Sorry. I got too many okay, Brian's here. Okay, cool. <laughs> too many so, Brian's. Me? Um, I mean, honestly, man not really any venue specifically but just a venue being prepared like showing up having what you need stagehands being ready to go a loading dock for a truck good catering like you don't have to worry about going out to find food like the lighting rig is proper like I, just when the advance is everything that you advance and you show up and it's just to a t and no one has to think twice about the day and that happens 99 percent of the time uh so like just i mean like one of my one of my favorite venues is like the bh pavilion out in new hampshire and they always have like they have lobster backstage and they have human bowling and a pool and a mini golf setup and the PA is always badass and the stage is great and the loading is easy. You know, like when you have shows like that and, and the day is great, the food is great and everything goes as it should. Like you don't have to think twice, man. That's a huge win. Um, I mean, I've also like we've rolled into venues where they're like, oh, our stagehands all got drunk last night and couldn't come in this morning. Uh, and the nearest McDonald's is seven miles away. Uh, I'm not sure if there's like enough power to run your audio and your lighting. So like, you're just going to kind of have to hope so. Um, and there might be a dead dog by the dumpster. So I'm sorry if it smells out back. I, I don't think we're <laughs> going to top that one, but uh, we're, <laughs> uh, 
we're going to try. Uh, Brian Campbell, do you need a minute or should I jump over to Mr. Tanner? Um, all right. Let me let me take a hack at this. Okay. So, man, uh, best moment is really hard. So let me do let me do that one first because it's going to be real quick. It, it's really hard, man. I, I, I love working. I love doing what I do. So any any day out there I'm mixing and any day I walk away mixing with a smile on my face, like that's that's the best day. And you know, not that I'm a great mixer, but over the last whatever, I've had enough of those nights that, I, man, I I just love doing what I do. I just get me out there, you know. But I do have um, two worst moments that tie. Um, <laughs> I don't think they can beat a, a dead dog by the dumpster, but, you know, try your best. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so... Wait. These are both current current things, but um, are, are recent things. But uh, Breaking Benjamin last summer, um, we are in Southern California. Uh, what's the outdoor amphitheater there uh, in uh, uh, Orange County? Um, anyways, we're out there in Santa Clara or whatever. They're doing a show. You know, it's Southern California, so you know you've got everybody industry that's LA there. Um, Breaking Benjamin headlining. We had Chevelle as direct support, Three Days Grace right before them. And it's the last song of Chevelle said. Um, it's really windy that day. So we do a kabuki reveal, you know, where you drop the drape and, you know, it drops in the beginning of this intro, yada, yada, yada. Um, so, uh, I make the call as a production manager. I go, you know what? It's too windy. I don't want that drape falling into the crowd today. So I go and I let our headlighting assistant know. Um, basically, the guy who's in charge of firing that off, let him know, hey, I'm calling that today. And uh, we're not going to do that today. So we're done with that. So he lets the the um, one of the lighting guys that he works with know. And that guy who worked for Christy Lights... Um, was like, oh, no problem. Well, let me put this away real quick because it's one less thing I got to do before loadout. And uh, it's magnetic, works on electricity. He pulled the power, dropped the drape. It's Chevelle's last song and it drops completely downstage, like exactly what I was not wanting to happen. <laughs> um, it, it happened, but it landed on Chevelle, not Breaking Benjamin, and it completely covered the whole downstage. The singer was completely like in the middle of the kabuki drop. The bass player like was able to s squeak out the edge real quick, but it killed that whole thing. And then not to mention it's, it's L.A., you know, you've got all their management there. You've got all those people just up in arms about it right away, <laughs> you know. So that was, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. That was probably the worst, yeah, worst moment of recent touring. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I mean, real quick, a side moment of the worst uh, worst touring of my point was when Brian Campbell, you were right next to me at Louder Than Life oh, last year for my yeah. concert crash. <laughs> I felt so sorry, Brian. I was like feeling every bit of your pain because that is my worst light, like worst nightmare. And you were living through it. Like yep. I was just like, oh man, I just want to help him. Like, how do I help him? What's going on? <laughs> You're like frantically patching into your into your Midas for him. 
Well, dude, anything at that point in time, I know they switched over to the house SC 48 or profile, or whatever was there. Um, but like Brian can tell the story, but you, I mean, you weren't getting like communication with the stage box, right? I was getting 120 DB of static on every single channel. Whew. Yeah, it was bad. And normally, So like within this moment, I never get to go out to front of house and line check. Cause I'm always on stage running fog hoses and making sure that the hair fans are proper. Cause that's what front of house guys <laughs> are supposed to do. Uh, and so thank God for whatever chance. On this one show, I went out to front of house and I had like two minutes. So I just went into like solo kick drum. I hit solo in my headphones. It was just pure static. So I thought, you know, maybe bad, bad cable, bad microphone. Swap that out. Nope, not that. And then it's on every channel, every effect send, every output was just static. So by this point, like, I mean, I'm trying to keep Maria and the band calm. I'm just like, oh, we got to work on a couple things. And so then we get to the point of where I'm like, this console, something's wrong with it, obviously. So I switch over to the house console bring my show file over, patch it, move all my mic lines and all my inputs, outputs, static on every channel there. And at this point, it's like me, Brian, George Chapman. Uh, there's like four other engineers. Everyone's just like, we don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, we can't help you. Uh, and by this point, we're about five to 10 minutes late of going on stage. Uh, and we found out, I can't remember who it was on stage, but they're like, you need to switch out your stage rack. And they happen to have a spare the like 56 channel stage rack and they swapped that out and they swapped the, the lines on it and then it worked thank god i think we were able to do like five songs on that set. oh my god dude. i it, dude i was so oh my god everyone if you could just <laughs> he was brian was hurting he was because he's so passionate about what he does like i don't know if any if, if you guys out there are listening and know brian you know he's super passionate about everything he does and uh man he he was crushed like it looked like somebody like ran over his dog and went back and like stomped on it. You know what I mean? It was, it was so horrible, you know? And uh, we're going to get the ASPCA after us here. We've got dead dogs. I'm sorry, dumpsters. but dogs you know what I mean? I'm making a point. <laughs> and you try to like in that situation, you try to not really show like emotion on it. Cause you can't do anything about it. You just have to right. roll the punches. You have to make it work. Like this is a massive payday and we have to perform. Like we have Dude. to make noise. Otherwise there's, all kinds of contractual situations. You were 100%, 100% super professional about that whole situation. Like you looked completely calm. I know you're probably going nuts inside. I was, a, I was a shit show inside. You were, you were completely calm. You were, you were, you were processing everything. Like I was like, God damn, like, wow. <laughs> that reminds me uh bruce Ryder had a similar story not super similar but uh, a stage box scenario he told me about uh on the podcast a couple weeks or a couple months ago five finger death punch show he's at front of house mixing five finger and in the middle of the show he starts getting all this like digital artifacting like the the bleeps and the bloops and the glips and the clicks and all that stuff and he's like i can't figure out what's going on you know he's checking every channel he's doing it on every channel and long story short a uh stage guest of the band who had been imbibing leaned against the stage box and changed the clock rate of the of the stage box from 96k to 48k so he had a time mismatch <sighs> between the console and the stage box like you talk about can you imagine trying to run through an amphitheater to get up to there and uh switch it to 90 figure it out and then do that that's crazy that that probably wins the worst of story also Oh, man. Yep. I remember you told me about that. I remember when I remember when that happened to him. Dang. Yeah. All right, John Tanner, we're putting you on the spot. Best and best and worst 
house experience that comes to mind? This is going to be great. Oh, I don't know. Mine pale next to your guys's. How many dead dogs were there? That's what we need to start off with. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like in, in Flint, uh, Michigan, you just get dead bodies. Oh. There's a hooker story out back of the bar. Those guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Boy, I, you know, there's been like Brian was saying, there's, there's just so many really, really good experiences. Love what you do, man. Yeah, you know, it's like I love mixing. <laughs> And and I get really good opportunities to mix a lot of really good bands, either on their way up or on their way back down. I've mixed everybody on their way up or their way back down. Some some of them both. <laughs> it's hard to do a good one, right? Surprises, I guess I had would be uh, I want to say because I had no clue who this cat was. Um, everybody's gonna go, wow, you didn't know who he was, John Five. Johnny five came through here and blew my mind because I'm like, number one, like who the hell's Johnny five? I, I don't know who this guy is. I got no clue. And then somebody's like, Oh, well he, you know, he's, uh, he's Rob zombies dude. Wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he still is. Yeah. Yeah. But that guy blew my mind. He's so good. Amazing. Oh my God. He's a dude. He's an unhuman oh. on guitar. And to, and to just, you know, like I said, to be ready for God, I don't know what this is going to be. And he had like inflatable palm trees and big pelicans and weird stuff on stage to where I was like, okay, this is going to be, I just did not expect it to be good. And it was amazing. So that was like a a really cool experience. One of my other uh, surprises, I've, I've always liked LA guns. I've been a fan of eighties metal that's kind of where I got my start in music. So I liked LA guns, but I never like, they weren't like one of my favorites or anything. Holy cow. Does Tracy guns rip that guy shreds on guitar when he yeah, just he does. and gets going. That was one of my favorite things when they would not have a guy and I'd get to mix them. Cause I know that stuff and, and their tones are great and they're great players, but he was another surprise. I didn't expect him to be as he was better than I, I remembered him from back when I was actually into his music, you know, those would be some good ones. Um, What's your worst? I don't have a lot of bad days here. I don't, Uh, you know, okay. Things go wrong sometimes, but got a pretty good track record on fixing those things when they go wrong. So even on a bad day, I end up looking good. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, gosh, I, I guess one of my weirdest, I guess, sort of bad day wasn't a bad day for me. And it sort of was because I had to jump in and try and fix this. And I want to say it was thousand foot crutch. If I'm getting it right. If I remember me and butt crack would know, um, Jimmy butt cracks, my light guy, by the way, <laughs> is he still uh, work there? Oh yeah, me and Jimmy. And, who, who's doing monitors? George is George still there? No, no. George uh, George had diabetes undiagnosed for a long time, and finally is getting treatment for it and everything. But oh he great! Had to had to stop. Uh, dude, I got this young kid now. He's awesome. Smokes really, really good. Cool. Uh, young guy named Devin. He works at a shit ton of other venues around, but kind of makes us priority. So 
Oh, so happy to. He's cool. I've met him a couple of times. As he is. Super, super nice guy. Yeah. Man, I haven't been through uh, there in so long. Back to the worst. I can't believe this dude did this. It was one of those guys that came in and he was like doing sound check and you can just tell his hands are shaking. You know, as they, as they reach for knobs, their, their hands are shaking. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, brother, you don't, uh, you don't know what you're doing, do you? So you're kind of over his shoulder all day, sort of looking, seeing what he's doing. And like, oh, no, don't do that. It's going to be a problem. That's going to be bad. And you kind of try to let him know as best you can. But I'm not that guy. <clears throat> I don't want to sit here and go, dude, if you don't cut some of that 3.15, you're going to have issues. I'm not that guy. Right. Even if I know you are, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to let you, you know, I might suggest, hey, you know, here, I'll show you my graph again. And look, there's... There's my biggest cut right there where, where you need to make one, but I'm not going to say that, you know, I'll insinuate it in a nice way. Yeah. So this cat gets going, his, his show starts and it's awful. Things are taken off. It's just me and Jimmy are like standing there looking at him <clears throat> and he's kind of looking at, looks back at us and he, he looks down and it starts feeding back again from the center vocal. Just, just, just ripping feedback about 3.15 and he, he just takes one step back from the board, puts both hands in the air, and goes like this. And me and Jimmy are like, what, 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 what are you doing? Dude, dude. So I'm, I had to like physically push the guy out of the way, and okay, now I mix it. I have no clue what you got, where, let's, let's throw a mix together. So that was kind of probably a, one of the worst case scenarios where you've got to take over for the headliner because somebody's cousin can't mix and backed out after a half a song. <laughs> somebody's cousin. <laughs> the animation was so good. I wish people could see this. I wish this was a video podcast. Cause when John said the guy stepped back, he did like the angel pose, like the arms, like outspread, <laughs> like, like I, I surrender. Put both his hands in the air. And he's like, what he was forever. We remember him as Tappy. He just tapped out. That guy. I, I don't yeah. know. How do you go out on a national tour as a front of house guy and then just tap out halfway through the first song? I'm done. Pure defeat, man. Pure defeat. <laughs> Pure defeat. Just let him hang himself. I mean, he didn't, the, he didn't pull the vocal back and stop the feedback first. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some props to his commitment. Once he was like, "This thing is done." It's for this, bro. This oh, thing, yeah, that was it. him standing back, going like, "Dude, this is great. I'm, I'm the master. <laughs> this is it. Yeah." <laughs> I, I was thinking just the opposite. It's like the Reddit watch people die inside channel. You know, like you just see that guy dying inside. Yeah. All right, Steve, you got to give us yours, dude. For sure. All right. Well, I prompted you guys offline, so I'm, I'm tipping my hand and telling a secret, but. Uh, probably you heard my worst. I think my worst ever was that experience in Colorado and I'm not going to say the venue or the place, but I was just taken aback by that, but probably the best experience outside of just you being gotta say the venue and what, what place, what happened? What time out? <laughs> it shall not be named because uh, I will probably end up back there and I don't want to uh, burn any bridges, but where he on the merch table. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it offline. Cause I don't know the story. We well, can do that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll fill you guys in offline. Uh, so best experience is probably every day on tour was Stitch Up Heart and Steel Panther last year. That was just like surreal. But prior to that, um, I do sound at this little, sorry, John, I, I stepped on you. 
It's a way to keep the gig, brother, way to keep the gig. Yeah. <laughs> Always be uh, selling, right? So I, I do sound at this little house venue, and it's literally a house. It's a woman's basement in Madison, Wisconsin. It's called Kiki's House of Righteous Music. It's infamous in the American folk singer, uh, songwriter venue. Like She can seat 75 people in her basement. Um, I've mixed, I can't even tell you how many bands I've mixed down there, probably over 300. And they're big bands, like Gerf Morlicks from... Uh, uh, Oh, crikey. Warren Zevon's band is played there. Tommy Stinson from uh, The Replacements and Guns N' Roses and The Figs and all these like crazy bands that I'm not familiar with at all. But I never know who's going to be playing at the show before I I roll into the place. And so I roll into the place one day and I'm used to seeing like broken down Ford Tauruses pulling like trailers made out of a pickup truck with a a tarp over the top of them as a trailer. Like (laughs) these... American singer songwriter guys and gals like I love them they're so talented and so good but it's not a high paying gig for most of these guys so imagine my shock when I I pull into the driveway of the house and there's a brand new Mercedes Sprinter van all blacked out with a brand new tandem axle 14 foot tall trailer 10 foot tall trailer and I'm just like holy cats like somebody's dad is rich like they somebody's doing really well here and out of the driver's seat pops a tour manager, which is also something I have never encountered at this venue. And the guy introduces himself, and he's like, hey, I'm John. I'm the tour manager. I'm like, wait, say what? Like, no way. And so he's like, uh, would you mind giving me a hand unloading the trailer? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And so we flip open the back of the trailer, and there's road cases. Like, I don't ever see road cases. I see cardboard boxes with gaff tape, you know, like making a road case <laughs> for whatever. And every single road case says REM Athens, Georgia. And I turn to him and I go, wow, did you guys buy a bunch of stuff from REM? Like, that's really cool. And he goes to me, he turns to me and he's like, do you not know who the baseball project is? And I'm like, I never even heard of you guys. And he's like, well, it's Mike Mills, Peter Buck, blah, 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 blah. It's basically REM minus Michael Stipe. And these guys are playing at a basement in Madison, Wisconsin, two sold out oh, wow. shows, 75 people. And during soundcheck, the 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 band was actually at uh, Miller Stadium doing. Uh, they're called the Baseball Project because they're all baseball fanatics, and all of their songs are about baseball. And they were doing a summer tour where they went to all these different baseball stadiums, and they either sang like the national anthem or the seventh inning stretch or whatever. So they were all at the at the Miller Stadium doing the seventh inning stretch, and the the tour manager and I are setting up everything, and we go to we go to do a sound check, and he's like. Hey, you know, we, we go through line check and all of that stuff. And, and I, I think I've got it sounding good. And he's like, do you mind just playing stuff real quick? So I can just hear it at front of house. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I pick up Mike Mills bass guitar and I start, you know, I don't know how to play bass at all. Sorry, John. I apologize. I start like thumping on this bass and, uh, he's like, cool, cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. And he's like, by the way, that bass is going into the rock and roll hall of fame on Tuesday. It's the one that they did uh stand with back in the day. And I'm like, all right, well, I, I just, my career just peaked pinnacle. Like I'm never, <laughs> nothing's ever going to get cooler than that. So, so I think that was probably the best day other than any day touring with uh, my band stitched apart. So, or hanging out with you guys. So that I'll bring what's the worst. Up. What's the worst. I told you the, the Colorado guy was the worst. Like, oh, but like, we, I don't know all the details of that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you offline. Oh, the man. second worst was a venue in Michigan, not the machine shop, but we, uh, 
we started sound checking yeah. and I'm like, man, things just sound really awful. Like it, and it, it had this like huge line array hanging and I'm like, stuff is just off. Like it just doesn't sound right. And the house venue guys like, oh, this is really weird. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, oh, we have bands here all the time, blah, blah, you know, the usual, Oh yeah. The usual answer. And this so I, noises. <laughs> yeah. So I go up and I stand by stage. I'm like, this box doesn't work. This box doesn't work. This box doesn't work. He's like, yeah, those are all blown. And then I go under the stage. And I'm like, do you have any subwoofer? And he's like, no, they're all blown. And I'm like, oh God, we're going to have a super fun night here. So metal creek. I'm guessing. Uh, I'm not going to say. Oh, you're so that was, good. That was my first guess. You're so good. <laughs> I, I got, you know, we did a gig in battle Creek on that taproot tour and their house guy came up in the middle of the set and just started grabbing frequencies on my graph and dumping them. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. What, what are the you f- doing? And, and this is the first I've seen of this guy. He, he was like, wasn't there for sound check or something. Yeah. Tell me about all the channel in his, in his board that didn't work. He didn't tell me about any of that. We had to figure that out on our own, but yeah, he just walks up and starts dumping freaks. Says I'm, I'm hitting the low end. Well, come and talk to me about that first. Don't start grabbing. Yeah, you got to let me know that I'm hitting something and I will back off. And if I don't, well, come and tell me again and I'll try again. And if I, then, then if I don't, well, then you start doing what you got to do. But you don't just walk up and yeah. grab somebody's graph in the middle of their set. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy. Yeah. <laughs> So, Steve, real quick, I know you're getting wrapping up, but I know this original concept of, of this podcast was like our connection to John and stuff. And I just want to touch on that real quick. Like, uh, as John and I talked about, like, we both worked with Taproot together and uh, he was doing front of house on a couple tours I did with them. And I, I was I was, uh, you know, guitar teching, like he said. And and the reason and John, I want to thank you for all this. Like my whole career, man, is is honestly you know, you don't know how like crucial you were like at that point in time, because moving to live sound is what I always wanted to do. But it's, it's like kind of one of those industries, like it's an in where it's an in and people always don't want to share information and people, you know, are kind of stingy sometimes with the information. I, I think later on, like today, like people are more like open about what's going on. But back then, 15 years ago, people were like, yeah, you figure it out, you know, like, and unless you were like in with that person. And um, basically what I'm getting at is I had so many questions and every day you and I would talk, John, we would talk about like, I was trying to figure out how a compressor, you know, worked in a live situation or how to EQ and and this, that or the other. And like over the few months we toured together, it was like you were a dude that answered all the questions I had. And that was super crucial at that point in time, like as, as a, a guy that really was into audio, but was doing like, you know, like home audio slash like working for a company that was just doing commercial type music. And then like working with you and, and doing that tour, you answered so many questions and, and so many concerns and made and took the time to answer like the dumbest questions, you know, like I don't understand this pre fader post fader, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you answered all those questions and made it made like sense. So well, thank you. Dude, I'm more than pleased to share my knowledge with anybody. I like it. It's fun. I learned it only because George taught me the uh, George Slater that Brian was talking about earlier. 
I learned all the stuff that I know through him. I mean, we all take it to our own place. I made it my own, uh, just like you made your mix your own. Uh, you had all the tools. When I, when I met you, I could see that, that this, this dude knows how to mix. But you didn't know that you did. I mean, Dude, you, you taught me how to patch <laughs> like to under like I was used to doing it in a computer. <laughs> you know, I, I think you knew everything already. You just didn't you didn't know you did. And, and I just helped you make it make sense in the practical world on the console. And, uh, you know, I think I remember a couple conversations about especially since we had a couple of smaller rooms on that tour about how you got to mix the room. Yeah. You, there's too many guys that come in and they're setting up their mix before they've even heard the damn PA. You haven't heard it. You don't know. <laughs> you know how you want your mix last night or whatever, but don't make changes to the rig until you've heard the rig. And there's a lot of guys out there that do that. They're not all the same and the room's not the same. So you got to mix that. Sometimes you don't need the guitar in the mix because we're in a tiny place. Maybe I just push him up for leads just to just to put it on top. It's not really in right. my mix. I'm mixing around it because that's all they got. You got to look at what you've got, see what your what the strongest part of your weakest point is, and then you make everything else match that because you can't beat that. Right. You know, that's all you got. That's that's what you got to work with today. And you know, so I remember kind of a conversation along those lines about how to mix the room. Dude, we had we had lots of lots of conversations and that was the key. Like uh again, like you know, you and Matt Trevino are like the two dudes that like really like made audio make sense. Mr. You know Cole. what I mean? And and it's wasn't he doing cold? He's some 41 now though, isn't he's he? He's doing some 41, yeah. And yeah, he, he, I mean he was only mixing a few years prior to me, but that dude is awesome. Like he is like a, an amazing sound engineer amazing 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 like i i hold like two people at like a higher like in my generation like matt trevino and North, nate northway those two dudes right there are in my opinion sorry john sorry brian but like in and sorry to myself but like in my opinion those <laughs> two dudes are like the most amazing sound engineers of our generation you know what I mean? That are coming out and doing it. And, and holy shit, if it wasn't for you, John, like taking the time, that's the thing is nobody took the time. You took the time, you know? And, and that was, that was, uh, you know, that was, that was amazing. I couldn't thank you enough. Cause it, it, you, again, like I knew what was going on, but I didn't, and you made it all make sense. And that was key. Well, dude, I'm, it's so fun watching you, you take it so much further than I did. Keep going. Find me a nice gig somewhere someday. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd all take a gig right now, no matter where it was or. I know. Just level. get me out there. Just get me out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian Hardiswick, any parting thoughts before we call it good here? Uh, yeah. I mean, new to the machine shop now, almost 10 years since I've known John. Uh, you know, I always grew up wanting to be part of like the whiskey, go, go sunset strip in Hollywood. You know, that's, the day I turned 18, I was supposed to move to Hollywood and be a drummer in a rock band. What could go wrong? Uh, and, you know, once I started going around the machine shop and meeting John and Kevin and Butt Crack and everybody, they made it. It's I a love Butt Crack. <laughs> thing. And, like, once you're in and once you're cool with those, 
Dude, he, uh, all of them, they, they really make you feel like family. And then John, every time I'd come in, was always encouraging. And he's like, oh, you've gotten better with this. Your drums sound better with this. Your guitars are starting to do this. Then it was like, now your vocals are starting to do that. And then like we would stay in touch through texting. Uh, and he just always is very encouraging. He was never like, he was never addicted to at least, you know, us in here. Like he, he believed in us and we believed in him. And to be a part of the machine shop is truly incredible because that is the current day whiskey to go-go for a lot of us. It is. A lot of people don't ever get to experience that. And with that, every single one of them, there's always a shit ton of machine shop gear. People always have the black hoodie with the patch on the back or the shorts. Uh, and I mean, I've seen it in Helsinki. I've seen it in France. I've seen it in the UK. Uh, I'm sure, Brian, you've seen it all over the place, too. Like it's the one place, the one venue everybody wants to represent. And every venue, you, a lot of venues you go to always ask like when they see it, they're like, what's this machine shop place? What do they do? Why does everybody always have their merch? And a lot of venues have started doing merch specifically because of the machine shop and, and their reputation. And I'm, I'm just super thankful to be a part of that entire group and the people. And John, thank you for always being so cool, man. Dude, you're another one. I feel, I feel so proud to have been even the smallest part of both Brian's to to watch it come from just Tekken, not that that's something we should say is just a job. Tekken is a, an important aspect, but I mean, right. neither of you were behind a soundboard when I first met you, and you've both gone so far with it, and looks like you're both going to take it a lot farther, too. Hopefully, hopefully post-COVID here, I would love, I would love to get back out there, you know, and, and Brian, I got to say, man, I know we, we just met a few years ago. Like that in this moment tour was the first time we met, right? Yeah, and that's when we really got to like get to know each other. And what a fun, what a fun tour, right? That was that was an amazing tour, man. weren't weren't you? It was it was a uh, Brian Campbell doing in this moment a couple years before Hardiswick, weren't you? So I I worked for in this moment in two thousand ten or eleven, something like that, and I was. So I was in between, uh, man, I can't remember the guy before me. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, Mac, Mike Macri took out, took, took on them after, after me. I, uh, they took a break after the uh, tour called the All Stars Tour. And then I, uh, I went on to We Came as Romans, who I spent seven years with, you know, um, like Gremlins. <laughs> um, I spent seven years with those dudes. And then I think after Mac, you took over, right, Brian? Um, after me, it was a dude named Quake, and then it was Scott Perlman, and then it was Frank Scambalone, and then it was me. Oh, I know Quake. I, okay, I know Perlman. Okay, okay. So you were you were later yeah. on down the line. Yeah, yeah so you know Frank Scambalone mixed them, and then that's a, I came in. What yeah. a crazy career those guys have had, and props to the in this moment, like uh, people, you know, like when I worked for them in 2010 or 11, I can't remember now. It was. Uh, like I did basically a year with them and then their album cycle ended. It was 11. Gibson was born in 10. So we were in. With so 10. it was 11, right? Okay. So yeah, they were just, I mean, they were just amazing people to work with. And uh, yeah, I went on to work for Romans who at the time was, you know, like doing, like it was a step up for me. Like I was doing all of a sudden 600 to 2,500. And then in this moment blew the fuck up <laughs> and all of a sudden they were doing like, massive shows you know and dude you're you're awesome to be a part of that like the whole crew we had out there a couple years ago on that in this moment tour headliner with um the mice and men guys and avatar 
like that was such a sick tour, man. It was like great to reconnect with Maria and, and, uh, and Scott on that. That was a fun tour, man. We had a great time. That was a long one too. That was like three months, right? Dude, that was a long one. I just remember the first time I ever met you was at the theater in Kansas City when we did a pop oh. evil. We came as Roman show because yeah. I met you outside. Was it Halloween or something like that? Yeah, Dude, I, I, w- I was out. mixing on like a little Personas, like twenty four channel in Personas, right? I think yeah. Some I can't remember the desk, but I remember coming out. I'm like, dude, like your mix is great. Like I, I hope to like achieve like audio mix of this quality. And I remember us just we connected. We were good, man. It was a great show. Yeah. That was awesome. I was. And your very, mix very... sounded amazing that night too, as well. Thanks, man. Oh, we're getting the uh, uh, auto tune uh, voice uh, from Brian. I'm excited to get back at I'm excited to get back at it. Yeah, Brian, your bandwidth is uh, is biting the bullet. So, sorry, man. But <laughs> we're at almost an hour twenty here, so. Uh, I feel like we've said the Minnesota goodbye here where you just, you know, can't stop saying goodbye for another couple of hours. But, uh, yeah, I want to thank all you guys for being on and, and, uh, being guests and being available throughout the year. You know, I think COVID is (laughs) COVID, you know, I, I didn't do that entirely for you, you know, being available. That is, (laughs) I was going to say, I think COVID has uh, dealt as a hand, but you know, everybody's sort of handled it with a plum. And uh, done the, made the, the made the most of it that we could, and I'm I guess I'm grateful that you guys are uh, friends as a result of this. So, yeah, I can't wait for us to all be touring, and uh, you guys can hear my mix and then tear it apart and tell me where you know go find a new job and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I hope we get to do a tour like real quick after that, Steve. Honestly, man, like you've been a good dude to me, you know. Like, uh, hopefully, we get to tours together soon. Yeah, no, I'll take anything. It'd be awesome. Sitting on this D live and just like got my multi tracks dialed in, and I want to I want to play it on a big system like uh, a machine shop or uh, you know bigger. <laughs> I got a key. Drive dude, on over, brother. Dude, when we get going again, I'm gonna take <laughs> any tour. Like, put me on the van and trailer in that middle, like sleeping on the ground area. I'm fucking there. Like, I just want to get back out and do it. Yeah. <laughs> I miss but, mixing. But I've I hate this. They would never do a van tour again. Well, I bet you a lot of them. I'm sleeping on the ground, bitch. Get me in there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, let's call it. Let's call it good. I think uh, we had a good time tonight. Uh, I appreciate all the stories, all the candor and uh, all the friendship. So by the way, I'm really flattered. Brian, both Brian's. uh, Thank you for, I guess, listening, but man, uh, you guys are great sound, man. I'm so proud to be the smallest part of what you became. That's a perfect place to end. So guys have a, uh, have a great holiday, have a great new year's and let's, uh, keep our fingers crossed that we're on the road together before too long. Take it easy guys. Yeah. And that's a wrap on this episode of mix masters. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>